Hello, hello everyone and welcome to the Miss Pink Digital Podcast. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about the ins and outs of 2024 marketing edition. First of all, I think this is the first podcast episode of the new year. So happy new year to all of you. I hope you all had lovely celebrations and really looking forward to 2024. I personally am really looking forward to 2024. I feel like this year I say this every year and it never happens, but I feel like this year is really going to be everyone's year. I'm hoping that it's everyone's year and everyone strives and really has maybe not the best year ever because I feel like that's a bit unrealistic expectations, but their year is good. (laughs) Um, I saw something online and it was like saying that 2024 is going to be 2016 summer. Like that's the vibes it's giving. And I love that. And I hope that is the case. So um, without any further ado, yes, the ins and outs of 2024. So those of you who don't know what this is, this is a trend that's currently going on um, online, specifically on Instagram and TikTok, where people say their ins and outs of the year. So what's in 2024 and what is out that we were doing previously last year? So I've done a little marketing edition version. Now, this is by no means trying to shame anyone or anything like that. It's just how you're going to really improve your marketing activity in 2024 and leverage the positive stuff that you already have and then leave the more negative sides of marketing behind in 2023. The first thing I'm going to talk about is playing on yours and your team's strengths in 2024. So obviously, if you work with a team, playing on their strength. If you're a solo entrepreneur or if you're managing your own marketing yourself, than playing on your strengths. And what I mean by that is I think when it comes to marketing specifically, it's a very grey area and people have the misconception that if you're, say, a social media manager, it means you know how to do ads, it means you know how to do SEO, it means you know how to do anything else. On the same, I had it a lot when I was working in paid advertising where it is very technical. On the paid ad side, they just assume you can do everything that's technical. So if you can do paid advertising, you can do SEO, you can do web development, you can do coding, you can do all of these things. And it's just people's way of somehow getting someone to do one job and then putting them into all these buckets that they're not specialised in. The amount of work and time it takes to learn all of these areas of digital marketing is insane. So stop trying to spread yourself and your team too thinly by hiring them to do a specialist area or a specialist job and then having them do loads of other parts and having the expectations that it's going to be as good as what their work is when they work in their specialist area. There is nothing wrong with wanting to level up your skills in 2024, wanting your team to level up their skills in 2024 and step out into more areas of marketing, but just make sure that you don't neglect what their strengths are because that is ultimately going to be what can help drive your activity more efficiently is playing on the strengths of your social media managers, of your paid ad specialists, of your SEO specialists, all of that good stuff. So just be a bit kinder to yourself and to your team in 2024 and realise that just because they have a specialist area doesn't mean every single part of marketing is a specialist area and that's okay. So that's kind of a more broader topic. It's not specific necessarily to a certain area you can improve in your marketing, but it's one I think that should really be spoken about because I do notice it a lot in the marketing industry where there's not a lot of knowledge on what people actually do and the technical side of things and 
how difficult all of these different areas are. They just assume if you can do one thing, you can do everything else and you're supposed to be able to do everything else to the same standard that you implement in your specialist area. So the next thing I'm going to talk about is making content more accessible and equitable. So I've talked about accessibility and equitability in the past when it comes to user experience, um, more so on a website, but let's start looking at this or make sure we're looking at this across the board. Like, come on, it's 2024. If your content and your website is not accessible to users and is not equitable, what are you doing? We need to start looking at that area right there. Now, I'm not saying that by the end of this year, I have the expectation that your content should be completely accessible and as inclusive as it possibly can be. But I'm saying that making, if you haven't already, start making those strides today in building content that is accessible and equitable, not just on your website, but throughout your whole funnel. It's so important that we realise now more than ever, we need to be catering to as many people as we possibly can. Not only from a business perspective, obviously, if we're looking at it from this business side of things, it is going to help your business to cater to as many users as possible. You're opening the doors to so many new customers, um, so many new fans, all of that good stuff. But generally speaking, from an ethical standpoint as well, we need to stop leaving people behind in the background. And really look at ways that we can allow people to use our brands, enjoy our brands, enjoy our products and see themselves inside of the brand and not just exclude them from the brand because we haven't started looking at what our brand offers from a user experience perspective. Which does lead me nicely into optimising your entire user journey. Now, this is a very broad topic and I fully appreciate that optimizing your entire funnel from start to end is a lot of work. It can take a lot of time and it can also take a lot of money in some instances. So I'm not saying you have to have by the end of 24 a completely optimized funnel. The chances of that even happening, even if you did put a load of investment behind it, is very low because it takes a lot of testing as well. It's not going to be a case of you're going to implement changes and they're straight away going to be the changes that are the most beneficial for you. And it's typically something that will take years and years of work and testing and iterating and just continuing to narrow in until you have this really smooth optimized journey that all feeds off the back of each step but definitely start if you aren't already looking at all of the different touch points users are going to in their journey and this will actually couple with a point I'm going to make later on about the outs of 2024 but now we're seeing off the back of 2023, users are looking at more touch points to aid their decision making. And any of one of these touch points, if not optimized or if not looked after, could completely turn your potential customer off from converting and to go elsewhere. So start analyzing all of your touch points this year. Start analyzing the most frequent places users go to in their journey. This can be done on your website. This can be done off your website. Pick an area, whether it's off page or on page, and start analyzing it and seeing where users drop off, where users are engaging, where users are continuing their journey, if they're continuing their journey. And if they're not, why aren't they? So a thing I like to do, and this the reason why I like to do this is because it is the most cost efficient option 
to do is from a website perspective, I will go and have a look on Google Analytics at the user's path and where they're going and have a look at what pages have, say, the highest drop off, but might generate quite a bit of traffic. And then from that, I'll go onto those pages and I will analyze the content. I'll analyze the layout and I'll compare it maybe with other pages on the website that don't necessarily have that drop off, or I'll just compare it with general best principles and practices that I know from a conversion rate perspective and from a user experience perspective should be implemented. And I'll see if they have it on those page or pages. <laughs> um, I'll see if they have it on those pages and start implementing those changes. And that's just one of the small ways you can get started in optimizing your user's journey without breaking the bank. So I'm not saying you have to do order every single touch point that you have, but start monitoring the touch points and start working on improving touch points that you know might be a bit weaker in the user journey. But we're going to touch on this more in a bit, so I'm not going to harp on this one too much. And then the next one is instilling trust through authentic content and gaining social proof. Now, I feel like authenticity became like a buzzword, especially towards the latter end of 2023. And I think we're going to continue to see this buzzword. Authenticity came about when user-generated content came about. People wanted to see more real people. They didn't want to see the perfectly highly curated content. They wanted to see real people. They wanted to look at an ad or look at a social post and see themselves in that social post through authentic content and through everyday people that could be themselves. And that's where the buzzword authenticity came in. And I do think it's important. I do think being authentic and being true to the user and not painting a false picture of your brand or your product or yourself, um, if you're looking to dive into the influencer world more, is so important to not only building a relationship with your following, but also to build trust and allow users to not feed in to this toxic world um, or toxic reality that social media is creating. So it is important. But I do think with any buzzword or any topic, the more popular it becomes, the more it starts to get skewed to interpretation and kind of loses its original core meaning. And I think 2024, we're going to kind of see a revamp of what authentic content and what authenticity online is. And it's going to get more popular, but in a very different way. And I've seen a lot of marketing gurus talking about this. And it's essentially the principle that we're not going to lean so much on influencers as such anymore and influencer marketing as such anymore, but we're going to lean on professionals in that industry. So we're still implementing that influencer marketing aspect, but instead of just going for any influencer in the space that might have a big following or might have an engaged community, we're going to go for people who are known to be very knowledgeable in that space. And it's going to essentially be knowledge over influence, I guess, because the more knowledgeable someone is online, the more trust they've automatically gained anyway. And the more authentic that content is because it's coming from a place of someone who genuinely has the knowledge in that area to justify promoting that product, promoting that service, you name it. So that's what I mean by instilling more trust through authentic content. The authentic content is leaning more on knowledgeable figures within the industry you're providing a product or service in. Alongside that, gaining social proof. So with authentic content, especially when you're leaning on that influencer piece, does come that level of social proof. Again, we know how powerful social proof can be. We've seen it over the past few years with influencer marketing, with user-generated content. Social proof for a user is essentially like a vote 
in their mind. So the more social proof you can provide to a user, the more votes your brand gets in their head of, okay, I trust this brand, I'm going to try their product. There is also an element of exclusivity to that or loss aversion to that where if other people are using it, they don't want to lose out on it themselves and they want to use it. So it kind of all goes nicely hand in hand with that behavior science piece, which I'll probably do some podcast episodes on as well in the future. But yes, authentic content and social proof to kind of gain the user's trust more and really show how your brand wants to be promoted by trustworthy and honest people who have a lot of knowledge in the space that your product is about. And now we're on to the outs of 2024. Now, these have always been outs for me, but each year they continue to show up and upset me. So I'm really hoping we're leaving these in 2023. And if not, then I guess they will just continue to be on my outs list until the end of time. But I digress. First one is a big one and that's relying on one channel to generate business. Now, this has been something I speak about all the time because I still see this all the time and it doesn't matter how big a company is, they still do it. And it is shocking to me. Like one, we don't learn from previous mistakes that we've made when it comes to this, but also that we're not scared of that we're relying on one channel to do all of our business like we don't think of other you know potential issues that could come up that could mean that channel is no longer reliable we're just happy for one channel to be generating our business it's scary to me because i still see it all the time like i say even big businesses do it and it shocks me not everyone obviously but i've seen a huge number of businesses who do this and the reason why this is a big no no for me is if that channel is no longer around operating, if it drops in performance, if they make policy changes on that channel that no longer suit your product or your format, you could risk losing a lot of money for a long time while you build up the other channels. And I've seen this happen before with brands where they put all their eggs in one basket rely solely on that channel to generate their income, generate their business, then that channel is no longer as efficient for them for whatever reason. And they are scraping at the bottom of the barrel, trying to find everything and anything to try and get that business back up because they neglected everything else and put too much reliance on that one area. And it's not okay. We need to start looking at all of our channels and optimizing them all. Look at the weak points and look at where we can improve on. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with getting a large portion of your business's income from a singular channel. That's not what I'm saying. But don't neglect the other channels just because you're getting business elsewhere. That's literally one of the worst things you can do. Really optimize everything so that if one channel does start to dip in performance, you know you've got backups elsewhere so that you don't have to have as big of a panic as you would when you're only relying on one channel to generate your revenue. The next one is running campaigns without measuring performance. This is any campaign really, not just talking from an ads perspective. Obviously, ads is key to measure performance, otherwise you're basically burning your cash. But anytime you run any form of strategy, any form of big campaign and company-wide campaign, make sure you're measuring that performance. That way, it not only allows you to see how your campaign's performed, but it gives you learnings for the next time around. So in theory, if you can apply your learnings the next time around, your marketing will just keep getting better and better and better, and you're not having to get stuck in figuring out why these campaigns aren't performing the way you want them to. I have seen so many ad accounts where they're running ads and they're telling me our ads just aren't profitable 
ads don't work for us. Like it's just never worked for us. It's a waste of money. And then I look in the account and they're using a conversion orientated bidding strategy with no conversion tracking, or they're targeting these incredibly top of funnel keywords and using like max clicks bidding with no tracking in place, no retargeting in place, no opportunity to optimize at any other points in the funnel. And it's just like, this is why your marketing doesn't work. It's not because the channel has issues. It's because you're running advertising without tracking performance and without making changes based on that performance. And essentially just like I say, burning your cash. So if we're running campaigns in 2024, especially paid ads, let's make sure tracking's in place. And I'm not just talking about standard pixel tracking. I'm talking about CAPI, conversion API tracking on Facebook. I know it's annoying to implement, but it's so important. I'm talking about enhanced conversion tracking. I'm talking about all of it. So we're not just tracking at browser level, we're tracking at server level as well. And then speaking of ads expecting ads to convert with a poor website experience. Again, something else that has pained me in the past. Your ads can only do so well if your website isn't great. You could have the best campaigns in the world where you follow all the best practices. You have really compelling creative. You have all the bidding strategies you need that are going to drive you down the road to success. You have all the tracking in place. But if your user is then landing on a website that has a poor experience and it's impossible to find anything, the page speed is low, slow to load, it's not optimized for mobile devices, they can't even check out properly, you're going to be wasting that money and that really good campaign build that you have implemented. So don't just assume because you've turned an ad campaign on, you then deserve conversions. And don't be shocked if you turn an ad campaign on with a poor website experience that you're going to get conversions off the back of it. I've had issues in the past where ad campaigns have been set up and they've been set up to a good standard, but the website experience is very, very poor, but clients would refuse to make changes on their website. And ads would ultimately get the brunt of the blame if they were getting traffic, but it wasn't converting. Until further investigation, it's because their website experience was poor. Users were showing intent by adding products to the cart initiating the checkout, but they couldn't get through the checkout journey and they were dropping off. Ads cannot make up for the fact a user cannot check out on a website. So it's just things like that. Really make sure if you're going to run ads, you take it seriously and appreciate that you're spending your budget, you're spending money and they need to be going to a good website for your brand. And last but certainly not least, and it kind of goes with all these points combined, making data-driven decisions. Now, I'm not saying data has to be the be-all and end-all. You know, it doesn't have to be all about the data. There is There has to be a human element in there as well, but definitely incorporate data within your decision-making where you can. The amount of times I've worked with brands before where a lot of their decision-making initially wasn't backed by data at all, and their campaigns previously didn't do well because of that is it's quite crazy actually um how many people kind of go off a hunch and i do think hunches sometimes work but sometimes you do need that data backing and the second they start using data backed decisions is when their brand will start to flourish but yes i hope this episode was helpful this kind of turned into a little bit of a rant but i'm hoping we then leave the rants at the start of this year and the rest of this year we start to see amazing marketing campaigns that really benefit us and our brand. And I'm wishing you all the best of luck in your 2024 marketing journey and your year in general. So thank you for listening and I will speak to you guys again soon.